When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Christian Blood, KTSA News, and it is that time once again for the Jack Riccardi Show. It's that time, that guy. <laughs> Make no <here>. mistake. <laughs> Good afternoon, Christian. Good afternoon. Welcome to our dreadful little show for Thursday as we're knocking on the door of the weekend, getting ever closer. Glad you're with us. Um, you know, we talked this week about how um, when Nikki Haley announced she was running for president, she had all these ideas. And one of them was competency tests for politicians. We need competency tests for politicians. I can't imagine, I can't imagine what she would be thinking about or who she might have in mind, uh, when she, uh, suggests that. Cut number three. We are going to keep our allies and the Congress contemporaneously informed of all we know and all we learn. And, uh, I expect to be speaking with President Xi. And I hope we have we are going to get to the bottom of this. But I make no apologies for taking down that balloon. Thank you very much. Sir, the question was there's been sir there's been criticism there's been criticism that this was there's been criticism that this. Sir, Mr. President, Mr. President, there has been criticism. Mr. President, there has been criticism that this was an overreaction that was done because of political pressure. You come to my office and ask the question. We have more polite people. Come to my office. Uh, Should we have competency, mental competency tests for politicians? What do you think? Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Well, you you can't do it. I'm going to tell you right now, you can't do it on an age basis. That would get thrown out, I think, very quickly. Uh, they would say that's unequal treatment under the law or ageism or whatever. Um, so do you want it for people over a certain age? Do you want it for all of them? Do you want it for the ones that run for president? Uh, where do you want this? Or do you not want it at all? And and what is a mental competency test? I mean, what exactly is that? That's not... That's that's a, an artful term, but that could apply to a lot of different metrics or a lot of different tests. Who would administer the mental competency tests? Is there somebody, I mean, we can't put like Fauci in charge of it. So how would that work? I mean, I get I get the point. You don't have to explain to me. I We're, we're all barraged by the lunacy and uh, idiocy of, of people in power. And it doesn't seem to be just the oldest ones. You know? I mean, Mayor Pete's not old. He's incompetent. Kamala Harris is not old. She's incompetent. Um, what do you think about that? Mental competency testing for politicians. So then they got to talking about what Nikki Haley was proposing on CNN's uh, absolutely awful uh, morning show, called CNN this morning. It should be called CNN until we figure out something better. Uh, Don Lemon is on there with uh, a couple of other uh, anchors uh, who are women, and he stepped in it by saying that Nikki Haley should be careful 
when discussing somebody being in their prime. Cut number one. This whole talk about age makes me uncomfortable. I think that I think it's the wrong road to go down. She says people, you know, politicians or something are not in their prime. Nikki Haley isn't in her prime. Sorry. When a woman is considered to be in her prime in her 20s and 30s and maybe 40s. What are you that's talking about? Wait. I, that's not according to me. Prime for what? <laughs> Uh, it depends. I mean, it's just like prime. If you look it up, it'll say, if you look, if you Google when is a woman what? in her prime, it'll say twenties, thirties, and forties. I don't necessarily. Forties. Oh, I got it. I'm not decade. saying I agree with that. So I think she has to be careful about saying that well, you know politicians aren't in their I think prime. You need to qualify. Are you talking about prime for like child boring, or are you talking about prime for being president? Don't shoot the messenger. Yeah. When is a woman in her prime? It says twenties, thirties, and forties. And I'm just saying Nikki Haley should be careful about saying that politicians are. Not in their prime, and they need to be in their prime when they serve because she wouldn't be in her prime, according to Google, you know, Google or whatever it is. <laughs> oh, man, oh Don Lemon, listen, Don, when you've been around uh, as many, well, I won't even say that. I'll just say this. I'll just say this. I think Don Lemon is not as dumb as he comes across. I think he's just trying to stay relevant and in the news. He's got a, he's, they, they took away his, his nighttime show when he was by himself and he was the solo star and they put him on with other people and he's on a panel or a group or whatever you want to call it. And I think he's, he's afraid that he will not be relevant. So he keeps doing things to attract, they're, they're stupid things, but they're things that keep him in the news. I and mean, we're, we're talking about Don Lemon today. We wouldn't be otherwise. Th- th- this whole thing about, I, I did Google it and yes, I immediately, after you get past the articles about Don Lemon, which are now at the top of the search, there there is some journal or magazine I've never heard of that declare declares women are in their prime in their twenties, thirties, and forties. Now you have to be thirty five under the Constitution to serve as president. So are we saying that we can only have like a 10 year window for a woman president because then they're past their prime? I mean, what, it, it, it's a, it's a numbskull idea. I don't remember anyone, including Don Lemon, suggesting that Hillary was past her prime. And then I love when he says, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just talking about Google. So Don Lemon, in order to know anything about women, had to Google women. He, I mean, imagine being so. <laughs> Talk about staying in your lane, Don. I mean, you had to Google to find out about women? So, yeah, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just saying what the facts are on Google. He tells his uh, colleagues over at CNN, and boy, did they jump on him in a hurry. Did you, did, you, did you hear how quickly? I think it was Poppy Harlow. She was like a vulture coming, di- coming down on some roadkill. Wait a minute, what are you talking about? So do we need competency tests for politicians or maybe television anchors? The other day, the president, um, who, I, I guess, how do you think he would do on a competency test, said that um, food price inflation is falling. Food prices are coming down. The numbers don't say that. Uh, grocery store uh, items went up half a percent since the beginning of the year in a uh, month-to-month comparison. In other words, if you look... 12 months ago, uh, grocery prices on average are up 10%. Eggs are up 70%. Dairy is up 24%. Poultry is up a percent. Uh, other things, more or less. And um, the Wall Street Journal had an article uh, headlined, To Save Money, 
Maybe you should skip breakfast. To save money, maybe you should skip breakfast because, you know, eggs and dairy staples of the breakfast meal are among the fastest rising uh, items. Uh, Quote, breakfast lovers might be better off just having a cup of coffee. You see where we're going here? We're not fixing things anymore. We're just telling people to adjust to it. You know, I mean, nothing's wrong except with you. We're not doing a bad job in Washington or your state capitol or city hall. The problem is you. You expect more. You expect too much. What do you think this is, 2019? Skip breakfast. Now, they've also been telling us we're going to be eating crickets. And meat is not something you should get used to. And what will be next? Um, you don't need lunch. Or you don't need shoes. Or you don't need hot water. Or, you know, I mean, basically their entire view of us is we're like ungrateful children expecting the lives we've always had, and they're the ones that have to correct us and go, hey, 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 wake up, listen up. It's 2023. Eggs? What are you, uh, the Romanoffs? You're not having eggs. I read this on, um, this was from Kelly Blue Book, the people that do uh, used car pricing. Kelly Blue Book says the Average, now, mind you, this is average monthly payment for a new car sold in the United States is now $780. It's $777. So almost $780 a month for a new car payment. Average. So what's the average new car? It's not a, not a Bentley or a Lamborghini, right? The kind of cars people are driving. Mid-range you know, mainline, dealership up the street around the corner, cars, $780 a month. And Bloomberg had a story on this statistic and said, this is not going away. You might have thought it was COVID or the chip shortage, but they said, look, this is the mantra for car manufacturers going forward, whether it's American or overseas uh, they're going to keep inventory low and price tags fat. And then, and then because right now these prices are based on gasoline, you know, it's 99% gasoline powered cars. When electric cars start making up more of the fleet, those are averaging 25 to 40% more sticker price. So that 780 obviously is going up. And an economist is quoted in the article, the idea of a new car in every American's driveway is no longer the world we live in. I I will admit, when you say new car today, people kind of raise their eyebrows or go, oh, well. But when I was a kid, people that worked, blue-collar, lunch-bucket people, could and did buy new cars. It was not necessary. You could have a used car, but buying a used, but buying a new Chevy or having a new Ford wasn't some kind of crazy splurge. What did you win the lottery? That was, that was 
sort of living the American dream. Even if you look at the advertising for cars back in the day, they would depict like, you know, here's a, here's a young American family with their new Chevy station wagon. So what changed? Are you expecting too much? Are you, are you wrong to think that $780 is insane or $8 for eggs is insane? Are you the one that needs to change? Because that's what your politicians and your leaders are telling you. The problem is you. You know, we, we realized a long time ago that the modern left had pretty much turned its back on working people. But now we're realizing they actually hate them. In elite circles, working people, people that struggle to pay these grocery prices, are looked down on. And they have the wrong attitude about it. And they should be interested in eating crickets. And they shouldn't even want to own a car. And their, their political views are wrong. And by the way, I'm, I'm saying working class people not with any kind of a put down. I don't think that is a put down. My dad was a working class guy. I come from working class people. I consider myself a worker. It's not a dirty word. And if you think it is, I, I think you might have the problem, not me. You know what they do care about these elites? They were all exercised when the New York Times reporters went on strike. These are people that make over a hundred grand a year average. Or when Elon Musk fired all those people at Twitter, they were outraged. You'd have thought it was the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. But the truth is that when Elon Musk fired all those people on Twitter, it was clear that they were, they were extraneous. Because Twitter never missed a beat. And these were people that hardly showed up or were working from home or they were sipping their, you know, coffee drinks from the coffee bar all day. I don't know what they were doing, but apparently it wasn't vital to the operation of Twitter. So they still, try to maintain their cred on unionizing and, you know, uh, fairness. But their metric is not Joe Lunchbucket. It's a reporter at the New York Times. They hate the people they used to champion. And you see it in the green energy movement. You know, you, you can't have the middle-class American lifestyle without affordable energy. They know that. They just don't care about it. They don't believe in cars, so they don't think you need one. They don't believe in farming, so they don't think we need that. They've essentially given up on you and everything that's important to you and everything that's a staple of your life. And if you're counting on them to, like, lower food costs or deal with inflation, you can forget about it. They care about that only to the degree that they have to keep up appearances. And, and, and appearance is so important with green energy, right? I mean, isn't it true that we basically just get a lot of stuff from China because China can do these jobs and run these factories in a dirty, polluting way, only we don't see it, so we feel good about the products because we don't see how they're made? But we're happy to impoverish and throw out of work entire regions of this country in the name of green energy. That's what they're doing. So your car prices, your egg prices, thats the, these are the people who are in a position to do something about it or at least call it out, and they're not. Joe says on the email, 
Uh, mental competency tests should be required of all couples before having children. Um, but our question is, should we have mental competency tests for politicians? And how would you do that? How would that work if that was going to be the rule? Zanti is on KTSA and the Jack Riccardi Show. Zanti, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jack. Um, yeah, I'm a former Navy corpsman and I'm a specialist in the U.S. Army. And, uh, all of us have to go through mental, psychological evals or competency tests, you know, the ASVAB. Uh, physical and health checks as well, man. I've been talking mm-hmm. with, for years about this. That, mm-hmm. You know, that the uh, politicians are technically in charge of the military, mm. but they don't go through this check, right? Because they, they run the checks and balances on, on the military, right? You don't have to be in the military to be a politician. We're not a true banana republic yet, but um, hopefully we won't be. But I think they should, man, because yeah, there are some really wacky politicians. I'm retired now, medically retired, but um, they, I definitely believe they should go through mm-hmm. because they're, you know, for one, they don't abide by the Constitution in a lot of aspects, which is what they're sworn to protect and, and abide by. Yeah, you know, and that's who, that's who, that's what the military. Uh, uh, swears to protect is the Constitution of the United States, not individual presidents, right. congressmen right. or not. Well, I like what you said about yeah. the fact that if they have responsibility over the military and can and can send uh, you anywhere to do anything they think you should do, and you have to go through all that, why shouldn't they? Exactly, man. I, I mean, I they're holding that. the most dangerous weapon we have. I mean, no matter what you did in the military, you don't control the kind of firepower a president does. So, right. you're, you're obviously they want to make sure that you're all, you know, all there before they, you know, put you in a tank or an airplane or even hand you a rifle. But we don't, we don't do anything to make sure that the commander in chief is all there. Right. I think all the politicians should go from the municipal, go through the. Yeah. Uh, psych evals or uh, whatever you want to call it, a psychological and mental evaluation. Have them yeah. take some sort of ASVAB for politicians or something. Yeah. Have them take the same one you have them take the same one you took, right? Right on. A lot of veterans I, I know feel the same way, but it's like, you know, we they're not gonna vote that in for themselves, man, because No, no, no. I don't know I don't know how you can override them on that. Yeah. It's the same thing with term limits. Everybody loves them except the politicians, and that's enough to keep them from happening. Zanti, I'm glad you called, sir, and thank you for your service as well. Uh, 210-599-5555. All right, so are you a yes or a no or a maybe on mental competency testing for politicians? Would you? He wants, them, he wants it for all of them, all ages, all offices. Uh, it sounded like Nikki Haley was talking about the presidency, but, you know, how would you do it? Would you, would you have an age cutoff? Um, I do think they would challenge that. Well, I mean, they'll, they'll fight this like you've never seen them fight before, but I do think there'd probably be some kind of, uh, constitutional reason why you couldn't have an age cutoff or an age, uh, requirement for it. So I, I'd say just do it for all of them. Uh, 210-599-5555. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what's been going on overnight in, uh, East Palestine, Ohio. And and also, I want to get your thoughts about the whole thing with um, food inflation. And the answer to that is skip meals, uh, cars. The answer to that is, well, you you don't need a car. Who 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 do you think you are? Where do you think you are?
I think I'm in the United States of America, where until recently, uh, owning a home, owning a car, were considered part of the American dream. That's being redefined. And, you know, I, if, if it was just that people had changed their thinking about this, I'd, I'd zip it. You know, but I don't feel like you and I have adjusted our expectations. I don't feel like you and I have given up on these things. Oh, yeah, I don't really need breakfast. I never liked eggs anyway. You know, that's not, that's not where we are. That's them. And they're trying to justify their crappy leadership and their brain dead ideologies. And they're trying to disguise the fact that they really don't like us, that we the people are really in their way. So their advice is, well, crickets. Skip a meal. Can't wait to see what their next tip will be. I really like Zanti's idea, the veteran who just called a few minutes ago, and he said, you know, he, he, was, he started out by saying, in the military, when he served, and, and, and everyone who serves, you go through a battery of evaluations, and uh, you know they, they need to be very careful because they're entrusting you with weaponry and technology and and what have you. You know our politicians like to describe themselves as public servants, which is a very benign sounding term, right? Oh, they're just servants, you know, like they're like they're butlers, you know. But they're just answering the door and hanging up our coat. No, really, we should think of politicians, and, and, and just bear with me for a minute. I know this is going to sound a little crazy. Politicians are actually the wielders of deadly force. I mean, politicians may not themselves carry guns, but they direct the activities of men and women who carry guns. They enforce at the point of a gun the laws of the United States. And I don't just mean deploying our military into another country or fighting terrorism. I mean, with us, it is a force relationship. It is a power relationship. They do make life and death decisions, not just about some terrorist in Afghanistan, but about Americans. Why shouldn't they have to show and be evaluated as just as competent and mentally healthy as our servicemen and women are. That, that, that makes sense to me when I, when I think of it that way. Let me give you an example. They had the town hall meeting with the frustrated residents of East Palestine, Ohio. And um, it was a bleep show. So... First it was going to be a town hall, and there were rumors that Secretary Buttigieg, among others, would be there, and the president of the railroad would be there, and they weren't. And then it was thought, well, at least we'll be able to talk to and ask questions of state and local officials. But that didn't happen. Instead, what happened was people who were able to get in were talked to, but not talked with. And so, as you heard us uh, talk about yesterday with Nick Sordor, the reporter who's there, the fury is building. The outrage is building. And it's justifiable outrage. 
not only has their town been devastated, but think about going through the rest of your life not knowing if you had inhaled or ingested something that might catch up with you years from now or your children. And when you look at the whole handling of this, you know, the train derails in this little town on the Ohio-Pennsylvania border, and it spills these very dangerous chemicals onto the ground and into the water, and the governor of Ohio gets on the phone with the governor of Pennsylvania. One's a Republican, one's a Democrat. And they decide that the wise course of action is to light thousands and thousands and thousands of gallons of this vinyl chloride on fire, blow it up. Some of these things are precursors to World War I uh, gas weapons. Blow it up into the air over a populated area in two states. Was that a good decision? And if it was, why wouldn't you be eager to go to the people affected and explain it to them and and show off your superior knowledge of science as well as your compassion? Was it a good idea? Was it the right thing to do? Was it the only thing to do? And funny how the explosion resulted in this mushroom cloud which suddenly they began speaking about as if it was a bad thing and they were against it. I want to be clear about this, because if you've only casually followed this story, those pictures of the mushroom cloud are from their decision to blow up the stuff. That's not what happened when the train went off the tracks. When the train went off the tracks, the stuff spilled. The the mushroom cloud is the doing of government decision-makers. Okay, And the outrage among people in the, in the communities affected and on social media is about the, the mushroom cloud, which was decided, not an accident. Okay, I mean, if a mushroom cloud happens by accident, that's one conversation. That was the decision they made. How do you not have the, the balls to at least go, you know you'll be yelled at, you know you'll be called names, you know you'll you, stuff might get thrown at you, you'll probably need security, but you don't even have the balls to go? And this is, I've covered, I've been in, in this business now almost 40 years, this is the first disaster I've ever seen that politicians did not want to go to. You can't keep them away ordinarily. But they don't want to go to this one. They didn't care when they made the decision to blow it up, and they don't care now. And they're talking about the effects of their decision like they're against those effects. That was what you did. This is a failure, not only at all levels, but this goes to what I was speaking about a few minutes ago. This is when you have such a wide gulf or gap between the governors, I don't just mean state governors, I mean the people that are governing us and the people they are governing. Now, there's always been a gap, right? All through our history, it's not like we've had, you know, every man or relatable people in the Congress or the state capitals or the presidents. I, I, I get that. And no, no system is immune from a certain amount of 
I don't know what you'd call it, leadership class or elite. But, but I mean, I don't know if we've ever had a period when the people in power have been more openly dismissive and disdainful of, of us. I mean, they just don't give a bleep. And the people who live there and are sick, and you heard that from our reporter yesterday, I mean, they feel sick, they are sick, they have all the symptoms of some kind of poisoning. They want answers. They want answers. And what they're being told by people that are keeping a safe distance away is it's totally safe. What could Pete Buttigieg have had to do last night that was more important than show up at that meeting? A meeting we all knew was happening. I mean, I'm sitting here in San Antonio, Texas. I knew where and when it was. What could he have had to do that was more important than that? Or the governor of Pennsylvania, or the governor of Ohio. So, yeah, we need mental competency tests, but but even that doesn't measure whether or not you have a soul, right? Whether, whether or not you have a conscience. And the other thing that's galling, and I, I, I guess maybe it's just me, but... When I do hear politicians talk about what they seem to really care about, when they do get that furrowed brow of sincerity, it's about stuff they've invented, like um, Pete Buttigieg talking about how uh, construction sites are too white or roads are racist. You know, it, it sounds when he talks that way like he really believes that stuff. But that makes it worse in a way. Because these are straw men he's propping up to do battle with, while stuff that actually constitutes his job is ignored. In fact, I'll go even one more, one better. I don't know exactly what the culpability is of the railroad here. I'm not a railroad guy. The railroad is called Norfolk Southern. But now the governors of the two states have written letters to the White House claiming that Norfolk Southern uh, is to blame. And I'm not defending them, but something tells me they are that the decision has been made to make them the scapegoat, to make them the the object of everybody's hatred and scorn and anger. Now, if they deserve it, fine, okay? But again, let me come back to my original point. It wasn't Norfolk Southern who said, hey, let's blow up the spill. It was the politicians. There's breaking news this afternoon about Senator John Fetterman of Pennsylvania, the newly elected Democratic senator who just got out of the hospital uh, after becoming lightheaded at a recent meeting, has checked himself into Walter Reed National Military Center uh, for clinical depression. Senator John Fetterman uh, seeking treatment on a voluntary basis for clinical depression, says a statement from Walter Reed. Now, I want to say this and be very be very serious about this. I I wish him well. Depression is a is a beast, and I'm in anybody's corner who's fighting it, dealing with it. But hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. You don't catch depression like you caught a cold or you came down with COVID the other day. Did did he know? that he was dealing with this when he was running for the Senate?
Well, in fact, yes, he did. Because in a statement from his office, they say, quote, while John has experienced depression on and off throughout his life, it only became severe in recent weeks. So again, I want him to be okay. I want anyone who is dealing with depression to get help and be helped. But what a crass deception this entire Fetterman thing was. And I don't know, I don't know what's worse. The cravenness with which they pulled this off or the fact that so many people in Pennsylvania, knowing what we did know, I mean, they didn't know this, but knowing what they did know, seeing what they could see, still said, yeah, I'm going to vote for him. Yeah, this is, this is good enough. You know, we can't solve the problems of, like with mental competency testing or term limits, if we're just terrible voters. I mean, you know, we, we can, um, we can only point the finger at them so much, but we have to do our job too. I, I like the mental competency testing. You know, I'm all for term limits, but this is, this is just an unfolding, um, mess. As a human being, I want him to be okay. But I mean, that, that is a complete, Travesty, fraud, theft of a Senate seat. You just, right in front of everybody's eyes, you are now admitting that you just wanted to keep the seat democratic. You had no mind toward or interest in the the capability of the person, the competency of the person. I mean, I don't know who's advising him who's casting his vote for him i know physically he is but who's the real senator from pennsylvania is it his wife is it the staff that we did not elect you know they accomplished their objective but i hope everybody can see how they did it 210-599-5555 so we're going to talk some more after the news about the uh, tests for politicians and uh, w- how you think that should work or what you think uh, would be the best way to do that or if, you, if you're if you against that, if you think that's not a good idea. I do kind of wonder how, uh, you know, after we get past the is it a good idea, I kind of wonder how you would work it. Because, I mean, there has to be somebody we would all trust to administer it and report the the findings and uh, and and what have you. Um, we're we're a li- I don't know if you've noticed lately. We're a little short on um, experts that the entire country trusts. There, people like that are a little hard to come by right now. So, Christian, where are you on the um, idea of? Uh, I guess Nikki, it's not really Nikki Haley's idea. It's been mentioned before her, but that we should have mental acuity tests for politicians. I'm on the fence post, but here's what bothers me. And you may have been alluding to this because I could hear the show in the background. Who's going to be administering that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. at the same time, though, Jack, it's quite obvious that we got some issues mm-hmm. with people in, in very important positions, uh, perhaps to the, you know, to the extent their constituents aren't even aware of mm-hmm. what's going on. And so 
I, yeah, I hate to sound generic and cop out, but I don't know what you do. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the biggest stumbling block would be the administering of it. Who who would you trust? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what's a test that everybody would agree is uh, standardized? And then uh, how would you keep it from being... Because uh, eventually politicians, everything we put in place to uh, control or govern their behavior, like laws against lobbying and campaign finance, they find the most artful, clever ways around them so in no time flat they'd have gamed this too i guess but if you could if you could do it it just appeals to me i've got the solution okay if they can't make it from a to z just say the abcs (laughs) if they can't do it there you go (laughs) oh man we're overthinking this Maybe maybe we should just give them a sobriety test, you know, pull them out of the limo, make them walk the stripe, touch your nose. Yeah, it's funny you say start that because I watch a lot of police videos when I'm bored about, you know, DUI or DWI stops mm-hmm. and so forth. Mm-hmm. And some people, it's just so obvious, right? Yeah. And yeah. yet the, the field sobriety test that's administered is relatively simple, yet if right. you can't do it, there's probably something up. There you go. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's the, that's the Christian blood angle. Give them a sobriety test. That would be a start. I mean, you know, that would, would be, at least get a few of them. We'd weed out a few of them. Should we have mental competency uh, tests for politicians? Today's JR poll question. We ask this question all through the show every day and you can vote on it when you call in or you can, uh, put in a vote at ktsa.com or on the 550 KTSA Facebook page. It's on all our socials. Cedar Sinai Hospital says 30% more young people are dying from heart attacks than before the pandemic. Um, People 25 to 44 is the demographic we're talking about. It's not unheard of for people in that age group to have a heart attack, but to have it go 30% higher over two years is um, something that needs an explanation, right? According to CBS News, the explanation is uh, failing to wear masks. Um, I don't want to get into the whole, we've, we've been over the mask thing a gazillion times. I'll just say this. I don't know what the reason is, but you're going to have to convince me that these are not vaccine injuries. I, I'm not saying I couldn't be convinced, but you're going to have to start with that. Because there isn't anything else in our lives that has changed dramatically in two years. If if you want to talk about the long-term effects of diet, lack of exercise, okay, over a long period of time, I, I, I get you. But if you're talking about two years, COVID, treating COVID, preventing COVID is the biggest sort of variable in the study that is our actual lives. Yesterday we played a clip of DeMar Hamlin's interview with Michael Strahan for Good Morning America, where this young man who had a near-death experience on live national television froze, froze, when asked the most predictable, obvious question that could possibly come up in his interview. Have the doctors told you what happened and why it happened? 
and I don't know what the reason is. And I don't want to. I respect Demar Hamlin. I don't want to put this on him, but it's it struck me that when he didn't, when he said, "I don't want to go there," or, I, "I want to stay away from that," that sounded like something he had been told. Because when you're young, I can say two things that are generalizations, but are pretty accurate. When you're young, number one, you you feel immortal, right? And number two, you take good health for granted. You assume you should be in good health. You know, when you're my age, I'm in my my mid to late 50s, and stuff starts to go, I'm I'm philosophical about it. Uh, There are aches and pains and sensations and feelings that now I think are just my my normal, right? But, But when I was 25, I would have been like, what is this? So... Whether this is a public health disaster created by vaccines, whether it's a little more nuanced than that, whether it's something else, it is unthinkable that we would not answer this question. DeMar Hamlin doesn't have to give an answer about his own health. We have to have answers for the health of our population. By the way, I think it's interesting that in Europe they've stopped giving the vaccines to people under 50 in some countries. So it just it just kind of makes you wonder if we knew what we were doing and we were doing the obvious things with it, then it would probably be the case that everybody was using it the same way. But when you look around the world, and again, I don't want to get into the weeds here, when you look around the world at the vaccine policies of different governments in different countries, Apparently, somebody knows something we don't know, or we know something they don't know, or, or, or what have you. And I also think it's interesting that more than once in recent interviews, Dr. Fauci has said that there was no way we would have gotten the vaccine out to people as fast as we did had it not been for what they call the, I think it's the EUA or the EAU, the Emergency Authorization Order. So, it was a test, as they say on late-night television. This is only a test. I posted uh, a Throwback Thursday, Radio Throwback Thursday picture today because if I didn't show you this picture, you'd never believe this had happened. You know what the San Antonio Current is, right? Very, it, it, it's, it's a very, very left-wing kind of alt-news weekly I mean, I, I like the current, but I, I mean, it's, it's, it's very, very left. Um, but yeah, they had, they had actually, uh, chose me or they picked me for, um, what was it? Uh, talk show host of the year or best talk show host. It was in 1996. And, um, it's funny to me. The picture's funny. Uh, but also just, they must be dying over there. To, to, if they ever came across that in their files, they'd be mortified. I don't think I will be reclaiming that title with the current current. So um, we're asking you on the JR poll, should we have mental competency tests for politicians? And if so, how would you like to see that work? We had a gentleman called the show about an hour ago who was a retired military, said it should be handled in the same manner that screenings and evaluations are, are given to people in the military. And I, I think that's a good point because I think 
in many ways, our politicians control and have access to even more, if you will, life or death power than a soldier or a sailor or an airman has. So if it's important to know that somebody wearing the uniform of our country has it together, it's even more important to know that the people controlling the people who wear the uniform of our country have it together. Um, Kevin wrote on Facebook regarding competency tests for politicians, we should have competency tests for voters. <laughs> I, that, yeah, I mean, I, I, I get where he's going with that. Yes, we should. All right, so once upon a time, if you wanted to get the phones ringing or stir the pot on a talk show, all you had to do was bring up single parenthood because you could get people who really, really believe in the, in the absolute sanctity of and necessity of the nuclear family, the two-parent family, and then you could have people that were single parents and get very irate. Even if you said, look, we're not, we're not casting any aspersions, just the idea that there is a difference or a deficiency to single parenthood would, would, would fire people up. Well, those were the good old days, because now Assistant Secretary for Health, Rachel Levine, says, really, instead of parents, any parents, what LGBT children need is one supportive adult. She was calling parental rights laws a gag rule in a video posted on Twitter couple of days ago, Levine is transgender, says one supportive adult. I'd love it if it was always the parent, but it's not always the parent. Frequently it's a teacher or a guidance counselor or a coach or some other person. Some other person. Are you a mom or a dad? Have you ever had kids? How do you like hearing the, the, the role you played or are playing right now, dismissed like this. You know, a parent or just somebody. One supportive adult. That's what we need. I, I have to say, um, you could kind of see this coming down the road, right? Even before COVID, you could kind of see where this was coming. COVID just, I don't know if it sped it up or if it just opened more eyes because of the distance learning and the way people were able to look over the shoulder of their child into the actual classroom experience. But either way, you could see this coming, and, and it's not just going to be LGBT children. Here's a Democratic uh, state representative in South Dakota. Her name is Erin Healy. It says, traditional families... Two married, uh, two parent uh, married families are dangerous and un-American. She was uh, speaking out against a group called Family Heritage Alliance that had stated uh, homes with a married mother and father were the safest place for children. She responded to that by saying, "What a dangerous and un-American belief." I've never found a way to explain this in a way that didn't offend somebody. But I'll try. 
it is certainly possible to find two parent households that are hell holes. I mean, you see it in the news. A couple of parents that are abusing their kids, that are sex trafficking their kids, that are starving their kids. I mean, I, I, I realize that. I haven't let that shelter to life. Just as it's also easy to find single parents, um, grandparents, and other non-traditional people taking on the role of parenting and doing an incredible job raising exemplary and beautiful young men and women. So we, we know all that's possible. We know there's not only one way to raise children with love and security. Having said that, is it so controversial to say that if possible, we would like children to be in a stable home where there's always someone who has time and energy for them and availability to them? And that's, what, that's, that's the strength of a two-parent family, that no matter how great a mother you are, you, sometimes you have to go to the bathroom or go to the store. And no matter how great a mother you are, there are things that might be easier for a man, a father, to say or teach or model for your children. That's all we're saying. It's not an aspersion. It's not a criticism. You're not being thrown under the bus. No one's slapping you across the face with a wet fish. They're just saying, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be ideal? You can't always have ideal. I get that. Why do we have to pretend we don't know that's true? Why do we have to pretend that's never been true? That's not at all true. It's insulting and un-American. I'm not going to do that. I'll give credit to anyone, anywhere, anyhow, who's raising, as we said the other day, children the world will love. However you're getting that done, good on you. But let's not pretend that we don't know what we know. It's not an extremist position. And when I hear people talk this way, what it really sounds like is not that they think two-parent households are bad or the parenting is bad. It, it, they're afraid. They're afraid they can't make their point or build themselves up without tearing down other people. I mean, I think that Rachel Levine, I don't know a lot about Rachel Levine, but it seems to me all that comes from a real place of hurt and pain. When I look at pictures, that just looks like a very, very damaged, hurting person who is lashing out at the world. I may be wrong. God forgive me if I am, but that's what it looks like to me. So all I'm, all I'm saying is not that there's one right answer or one size fits all. Let's not pretend we don't know what we know, right? You know, if it's raining, you come in out of the rain. We know this. I want to play you um, just a couple of minutes of a man talking. Jack, isn't that what we've been listening to? Um, This is a different man talking. Before I tell you who he is or anything else about him, I just want you to listen, see what you think of what you hear, and then I'll explain cut number two. But I stepped down as CEO of that company to focus on a different kind of cancer. 
not a biological cancer, but a cultural cancer that threatened to kill that dream that Martin Luther King had 60 years ago, that threatened to kill the dream that allowed me to achieve everything I ever have in my life. And that is a new secular religion in this country whose belief system centers on the idea that your identity is based on your race, your gender, and your sexual orientation, full stop. That if you're black, you're inherently disadvantaged. That if you're white, you're inherently privileged. No matter your economic background or upbringing, your race and your gender govern who you are and what you can achieve in your life. Now, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley of the squad, she actually summarized this philosophy pretty well when she said, we don't want any more brown faces that don't want to be a brown voice. I'm going to guess I don't fit her description of what counts as a brown voice. But I will tell you this, there's a really clever move in there, that when your race goes from being about your skin color to being about the content of the ideas you're allowed to have, then any disagreement with those ideas automatically means that you are a racist. And there is no greater damnation in modern America than to be called a racist. So when given the choice between pledging allegiance to this new religion and being tarred with the scarlet R, everyday Americans are choosing to bend the knee. And that has created a new culture of fear in our country. Fear of losing your jobs. Fear of your kids getting a bad grade in school. Fear of becoming a pariah in your own community. So that is um, an excerpt from a speech uh, that Vivek Ramaswamy was giving recently. And um, you've probably, if the name isn't familiar, you've probably seen uh, Vivek Ramaswamy on cable news shows. Interestingly enough, he goes on all the cable channels. I've seen him on Fox. I've seen him on MSNBC. Um, he's a uh, he's an author. He's a businessman. He had a he had a uh, what do you call it? An asset management uh, hedge fund company at one time that he had started. He had a uh, a tech and pharmaceutical company. Uh, I think he sold both of those or moved on from those. He's written a book. Uh, about being anti-woke called Woke Incorporated Inside Corporate America's Social Justice Scam. Vivek Ramaswamy sounds like the kind of person that might advise a president or presidential candidate, but in fact, he says he is seriously considering running for president. And so serious that he has actually already started to appoint a campaign team. He has actually already taken on the professionals that you would need, people that have done this before, in terms of like campaign management, polling, etc. So he's pretty serious about it. Of course, it's early and he's not nearly as well known as a Donald Trump or a Ron DeSantis. But but how does he grab you? How how does that grab you? How does what you just heard sound to you? And I'm still at the point in my thought process as a voter when I'm just sort of looking at people listening. But I'll tell you what I like here. I mean, there's a lot that I like here, but we, um, 
have a tendency to elect unlikely people. So two years before Donald Trump was elected, you would have thought I was a nut if I told you Donald Trump's going to be the president. Two years before Barack Obama was elected. Two years before Bill Clinton was elected. We, we often either elect the most unlikely or one of the most unlikely people, or we elect people that look like their time has already passed them by, i.e. Ronald Reagan or Joe Biden. So I, I don't think you can say this would never happen. I, it's going to be a very tough road if he does run for president because Vivek Ramaswamy is not well-known. There's stuff in his biography like the hedge fund and the the connections to Big Pharma that will be a problem. There will be people, let's be honest, who will say, I, I can't say his name or I don't like, you know, he doesn't look like a president. He is a young guy. He's about 44 or 45 years old. Uh, he's very smart. He's very well-spoken. I hope he gets in for no other reason than because I'd really like to see how he would do. I think it would be... It would restore my faith if a person running like him, speaking like him, could at least get traction, you know, could at least be in the conversation. I also think, by the way, that uh, to speak to the question we've been asking you all throughout the show about mental acuity and mental competence, you know, the closest thing we have to mental competency testing for politicians right now is their opponents. Now think about this for a minute. The closest we came to exposing Joe Biden for the kind of muddled, foggy, confused person he has turned out to be as president, the closest we came to that were the Democratic Party debates. When people like Kamala Harris, Tulsi Gabbard, and yes, even Julian Castro uh, pulled back the curtain. And if you put Vivek Ramaswamy, who is, if nothing else, brilliant and quick-witted, and I think he's more than that, but if he, if nothing else, you've got to give him that. You put him on a debate stage with any of the likely Republican candidates, that that can only be a good thing. If you're interested in mental acuity, that's probably the most direct way of exposing it or examining it right there. Now, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley of the squad, she actually summarized this philosophy pretty well when she said, we don't want any more brown faces that don't want to be a brown voice. I guess I don't fit her description of what counts as a brown voice. But I will tell you this, there's a really clever move in there, that when your race goes from being about your skin color to being about the content of the ideas you're allowed to have, then any disagreement with those ideas automatically means that you are a racist. Vivek Ramaswamy looks like he's getting ready to run for president. Gives this guy the, what's he thinking, right? He's never been a senator. 
or a congressman or the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, even, to run for president. Why, he's he's not a politician. See, I, I got to think at the moment, I got to think at the moment, there's a lot of politicians, people that have been in politics, who wish they could wave that men in black stick in front of your eyes and make you forget their political record. We have seen, in a very short amount of time, the transformation from your political resume is your resume to your political resume is a millstone around your neck. It's what dooms you. I don't know if that's... I don't know if that's the internet or the social media trail or what, but right now the best position to be in to run for president is to be able to look people in the eye and say, look, I had nothing to do with this, you know, bleep storm that we're, <laughs> that we're in right now. I didn't do this. I didn't, I wasn't part of it. I didn't vote for it. I didn't sign off on it. I didn't, I didn't serve in the cabinet for it. I, I'm like you. I, this is not, this isn't working. So I think there's people that want to be president, but because they've been senators and governors and what have you and so forth, that's going to be a problem for them, not a, not a calling card, not an advantage. I'm old enough to remember when it was. I, I, I can remember when people would stand up and their stump speech for president would be, I spent this many years in the House, and then I spent this many years as the governor of my state, and then I spent this many years in the Senate, and I passed this many bills, and I, I voted 59,000 times, and I, and you were supposed to, that's what we want. Yes, he sounds ready. It's not what we want now. 210-599-5555. And, and, and remember that rule about unlikely people. I mean, I, it's kind of scary to think about it this way, but if you really go back and look, and I would say take like, an 18 to 24 month view of before each of our recent elections for president. Okay. Go back 18 to 24 months before the date of the election. So if it was the, if it was the 2016 election, go back 18 to 24 months before that. If it was the, you know, 2008 election, go back two years before that. When you do that, the most likely people are not the people we elect. Just, just saying right now, who are the most likely people? If history holds, they will not be the people, the person we ultimately elect. I don't know. We'll see. 210-599-5555. So we're going to talk a little more about Vivek and, uh, we're going to talk about parents. Um, Rachel Levine says LGBT children don't need parents or a parent. They just need a supportive adult. And I guess the supportive adult appoints themselves to that position. So you just find a kid and you make yourself their supportive adult. That, what could go wrong with that, right? I want to talk about that. I got a good email here from Carl to jack at ktsa.com on parents uh, and the importance of fathers. He writes, males are protectors of females generally. There are always exceptions to the rule. A female does not show or give off the protector vibe. Uh, not that there are not exceptions to this rule of women who can protect. He writes, my wife has never heard a sound in the night that needs to be investigated and got up to check it out while I stayed safe in my bedroom. It's always the other way around. 
says Carl. Uh, so you can give us a shout, 210-599-5555. Or you can shoot over an email, jack at ktsa.com. Uh, in addition to our poll question, uh, we're also going to talk some more about uh, Ohio and what's going on there with the the plume and the anger and the lack of any real response. Like, I, I may have missed it, but I, I tried to listen to most of, uh, most of what President Biden said today when he came out to talk about shooting things down out of the sky, and I realized that was the main focus, but I don't believe he mentioned Ohio. We are witnessing the first disaster that politicians do not want to talk about, let alone visit. What makes this different? I may be forgetting one, but I, I, I cannot remember a time when that was not at least a photo op for them. This Palestine-Ohio thing is not. Do you think politicians should have mental competency or acuity testing? By the way, a lot of them say they do in the sense that they go get a physical. President Biden had his physical today, and his White House physician reports that he's in tip-top condition. He's a hail-hardy, completely capable and competent 80-year-old. And I, to, to which I would say, well, then who's this guy on television? <laughs> I'd like to meet the guy you examined, Dr. O'Connell. But anyhow, um, do you think we need him for politicians, and how would you like to see that work? Our poll question, we'll see the results later in the hour. Your call's on that right now at 210-599-5555. You know, I think the symbol, the, the visual symbol of this week the, the visual, if you will, that sums up this week was a meeting last night in East Palestine, Ohio. It was a meeting, a town meeting, unlike any they had ever had before. I'm sure they've had town meetings about do we build a new gym for the high school or do this or that with taxes, but this was a meeting to get answers, to get help, with the worst disaster that has ever befallen their town. And, you know, if you think about it, a month ago, these people were like you and me. They were going about their business. They had their own concerns, you know, the the, the, the thing that might keep a, a mom or dad up at night was probably a, a family thing, a personal thing, a job thing. Now... They're watching their kids having diarrhea and get skin rashes. They don't know what's happening to their health. All the fish have died. I saw a lady on television this morning who said she hasn't seen a bird of any kind in days. They go to this meeting, I I, I would assume expecting, maybe some of them were cynical and weren't expecting this, but one would think perhaps, perhaps representatives of the federal government. Perhaps representatives of the state of Ohio. Perhaps people from the, from the railroad. And basically they got nothing. They weren't even allowed to speak in a kind of a, you know, like you've been to meetings where, you know, you take, uh, you get in line and they give you two minutes or three minutes or whatever. Nothing. The mayor of East Palestine says, I take him at his word, that when he asked 
Norfolk Southern if they would come to the meeting. They said no because they didn't feel safe coming to the town. Let that sink in for a minute. You are saying to the people who live in the town, it wouldn't be safe for us to come to your town right now. You know, in a way, that kind of is the answer to all the questions, isn't it? I mean, whatever you were going to ask them, that kind of answers your question. So when I was a kid, I was about 20, I guess. I shouldn't say kid. We all watched with horror what happened in a Russian town called Chernobyl. Chernobyl was a global threat, the the accident at a nuclear power facility in Russia, but but it was also a local tragedy. It upended people's lives. It ended people's lives. And I remember thinking, and it was the way it was presented to us. I mean, I didn't come up with this myself. But I remember thinking, as a child of the Cold War, there's the difference right there. That's how we're different from them, or they're different from us. They don't give a damn about their people. A system of government that was supposed to be about the proletariat, meaning the people, they even call each other comrade, showed at Chernobyl that the people don't matter. They don't care. They're expendable. They're not owed an explanation. They're not owed help, support, medical care, resettling. And I remember thinking, that's how we're different. We wouldn't do that. That wouldn't happen here. I guess I was very naive. Is that not what's happening here? What do you think? 210-599-5555. You could say about Chernobyl, from what little I've read about it, that the Russians really didn't know what to do. It was an unprecedented event. They were not up to the up to par technologically. They did not want to ask for or invite help because they didn't want the world to know how bad it was or what their vulnerabilities were. I get all that. But we're the world's most advanced country. We're the most capable people on the face of the earth. We're the people that other countries hope will show up when the worst things happen to their country or in their country. We're the ones they're waiting for in Turkey. And we're the ones they'll be waiting for at the next natural disaster, wherever it is. But look at how we are treating the people of East Palestine, Ohio. I mean, I went over it earlier on the show, but you do realize the disaster is a two-parter. And one part of it might be much worse than the other part. So the first thing that happened was the train derailed. And that appears to be on the railroad. There's circumstantial evidence that they were having equipment issues. They may have known there were there were issues with that train. That train had had maintenance problems in the hours and days before the accident. There's video of the axles overheating and sparking, which is an almost certain precursor to a derailment. So the derailing of the train and the spilling of the chemicals is one thing. And it's, and it's bad and it's, and it's probably on them. 
But then you have the decision by people in government to burn and blow up the spilled chemicals. That's the mushroom cloud, you see. The mushroom cloud didn't happen from the derailment. The mushroom cloud pictures that are so draconian and dramatic are from the government decision to burn off the vinyl chloride and the other stuff that was spilled. Now, I'm not a scientist, and if I'm if I if I'm wrong about this and that was the only thing to do or the best thing to do, I'll I'll correct myself, but I don't think it was. I think we're going to find out it wasn't. And even if it was, you don't do that and treat people like they're lab animals. Let's see what happens. And then you have this brazen sort of about face that the governors of the two states, because it's right on the line with Ohio and Pennsylvania, you have them writing letters to the White House and the Transportation Department, and they're complaining and pointing fingers at the, at the railroad, and they're demanding help with the mushroom cloud, the plume. But that was their decision. And both of them, governors of Ohio and Pennsylvania, have said that. I'm not saying that. They said that. They put their heads together. They talked to their people. They made that call. So I'm just I'm blown away by the ass-covering and the cynicism, I thought I had seen it, but this is up there. This is Olympic-level CYA. And again, if you're old enough to remember Chernobyl, what did you think? And how did you differentiate? And I've seen on social media, some people are now uh, referring to this as hashtag Ohio Chernobyl. Well, I know it's not, that's not scientifically an apples to apples comparison. I get it. But people are basically worried. They're seeing, everything they're seeing is worrisome. Everything they're seeing is troublesome. Uh, if there are reassuring answers, they ought to be getting them. I mean, if I'm wrong about all this and it's going to be just absolutely hunky-dory, fine, hey, just going to smell bad for a few days, okay, then there should be a, a, a phalanx of government officials going there, putting their credibility on the line and saying that, right? One other thing, I mentioned this earlier in the week, where are the environmentalists? Have I missed it? Where are the people who were the other day wanting to kick down your front door and rip your gas stove from the wall, <laughs> where are the people laying down in the highways, where are the people canceling uh, public works projects because of transparent lizards and spotted turtles and mating shrimp and what have you, where are they? I mean... I'm not going to say that they'd help, but I am a little puzzled by their seemingly um, their seeming indifference to what actually is not as arguably, but what actually is environmentally destructive. You know. If you're more upset that somebody is grilling a beef hamburger in their backyard 
than you are about East Palestine, Ohio, I'm going to say that maybe you're not a very good human being and maybe your values kind of suck or your priorities are a little askew. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? You might not think of them because they're not there. And it took me a couple of days to realize, hey, they're not there. They're not posing next to rivers full of dead fish, holding their faces in their hands, bent over double in grief, weeping. They're not lying on the ground, hugging the earth, trying to soothe Mother Earth from her grievous wound. They're not they're not raising their fists in anger at the sky, demanding answers. Is it because we have a democratic administration? Do they will they just not go there when the Democrats are in charge? Is it that it's not going to get as much media coverage because it's in a small town in the heartland and they like going to places like the World Economic Forum and New York City and Washington, D.C. and throwing tomato soup on paintings in London. But, you know, dollar for dollar, pound for pound, camera for camera, not as much coverage if you go to East Palestine, Ohio. I mean, maybe that's it. Uh, Nikki Haley announcing her run for president this week was talking about the need to pass the torch to younger people and said something along the lines of America's not past her prime, but many of her leaders are, so we need to test them, weed them out. Um, yeah, I mean, if we voted with more intelligence and awareness, that would solve a lot of it. Um, when we have these uh, debates, uh, they rip each other's throats out. That solves some of it. Uh, you you could see in the, in the 2019... Uh, pan-democratic debates when there were 12 of them on the stage, you could see that Joe Biden was not up to it. But people didn't want to see it or, or forgot it. Um, so we got to vote better. we got to be more aware. We can't overlook or be willing to overlook uh, somebody who's lost their fastball just because he's on our team or has the right letter after his name, right? I mean, that, that all has to be there. But is there something to this? Screening or testing, do you think? 210-599-5555. You know, I, I saw a story in the news the other night about, and I didn't realize this because I haven't been flying recently, but apparently there's been a number of very close calls at our airports around the country, all over the country, including Austin. Very close near misses. Um, where, but for a few feet or a few seconds, two jetliners would have collided on the runway, would have collided approaching, taking off. And, of course, this follows a terrible holiday season of air traffic cancellations, delays, perfect storm of circumstances, weather, staffing, et cetera, et cetera, the computer crash. Um, it, it is hard to not see the fact that these things are all happening at the same time that our institutions are placing diversity and equity over merit. Can I, can I prove that each of these near misses or near calamities or, or real calamities, can, can I, can I prove that they are the cause, they are the result rather of 
diversity and equity? No, I cannot. But am I puzzled and am I curious about the coincidence of downplaying meritocracy while watching incompetence blossom? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 it's hard not to think about it, right? And you look at every institution, policing. I've got a story here, an update on the, the Tyree Nichols story. Um, air travel, Department of Transportation, common denominator. When we don't value merit, when we don't insist on quality, when we pretend that appearances are more important than substance, we seem to be getting subpar, dangerously, subpar results. What's it going to take? Is it going to take a plane crash? Do we need, do we need a plane load of people to die before we can have this discussion? Do we need a, a, a tall building to fall down because it was not constructed properly or inspected properly? Do we need a train to derail in a small town and wipe out people's lives and livelihoods? Oh, wait, that already happened. There's a story about the Tyree Nichols beating in Memphis. You know, when that happened on January 7th of this year, you wondered, I wondered, we all wondered if this guy had done something or acted out in a way that created a reaction or an overreaction. And so far, there's no indication of that. In fact, the more you look at the Tyree Nichols beating, fatal beating, the more you're wondering what in the world is going on with these police officers. So the story I read yesterday says that one of the officers, and this is not confirmed, so I want to be clear about that. We're, we're still waiting to see if this is true. But the story goes that one of the officers sent pictures of a very badly beaten, bloody Tyree Nichols to some of his acquaintances. So while the guy is in the street, one of these officers responding, I don't know if it was one of the five who beat him and who've been uh, charged with it, was sending pictures. And that makes you think either that this was personal, that they had some sort of target on him, or that the incompetence and callousness goes even deeper than we thought, and that's hard to say, but it may. We really need the entire story. We're talking about texting pictures of a man who is dying to several people. If it's true, it's a pretty important part of this story. I mean, just for example, and I'm not saying I know this, and I'm, I'm just... I'm just using this as a for instance. What if it turns out that Tyree Nichols dated, flirted with, had an affair with a female acquaintance 
of one of these officers. And this turns out to be a revenge murder. That makes it more than a police problem. And that's why we need to know. I mean, uh, as you've heard us talk about, and I'm sure you've heard in other places as well, one of the things that's enraging people in Memphis is finding out that the cops involved, two of the five, were hired under greatly lowered guidelines in light of the push for being able to hire police, diversity, equity, the, 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 the sort of post-2020 distortion of merit that we've been talking about. So it's bad enough if this is a story about bad policing, but what if it's even worse than that? And I just, when you look around at, at all kinds of things in our world, or just the stuff you encounter in your everyday life, I mean, I'm, I'm not asking you to call and tell me this, but just, have you not seen things lately? Because I know I have that aren't working as well as they used to, people in jobs that don't seem to know what they're doing, interactions with people in the business world where they just don't seem to give a damn, or is there like anybody in charge here, or, you know. And you just get the feeling that maybe part of that is, I mean, I know we're all getting old and cantankerous, but maybe part of that is we're, we're hiring people for the wrong reasons, we're having to hire people because of the lack of labor participation that I mentioned yesterday that maybe in, 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 in yesteryear would not have been hired. You know, like, hey, I'll interview this person, but this is not going to be the person I hire. Now becomes, I'm going to have to hire this person because they're the only one that applied. It's just, you kind of see it around. I mean, it's, it's, I'm not comparing a bad experience at Dunkin' Donuts with, what happened to Tyree Nichols? I'm just saying that you look around at all these things and Ohio and 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 the airlines, and you think there's just sort of a a devaluing of merit and competency that's going to get people killed, and already is getting people killed. Votes are still coming in on the JR poll question. Should we have the mental competency tests for politicians? Karen on Facebook says, yes, we should. We should test them with a blood test to make sure they're not on drugs. Terry says, yes, to mental competency tests, but then we'd have a shortage of politicians. I'd like to have that problem. It's, I've never had that in my lifetime. We've had shortages of everything else. I'd like to try a shortage of politicians, see how we handle that. Uh, Dale is on KTSA, the Jack Riccardi Show. Hi, Dale. Hey, Jack, thanks for taking my call. Um, well, yes, sir. As the comp- yeah, as far as the competency test goes, yeah, I could see that, but why don't we as uh, the people push our politicians to make a, a uh, mandatory uh, retirement age, say 65, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then that would eliminate the need to have a competency test. And yeah. I mean, they, they make you retire after, you know, 20 years in the military or, you know, whatever. 
Um, and then they could go into uh, private sector if they want. Well, you know? I, I do like your idea of a retirement age, um, but I guess the problem we have with all of these things, whether it's retirement age, test, term limits, is the politicians themselves will always block it. Right, right, yeah. They would have to be willing to put forth the legislation, you know. And, and I, I mean, the, the, they, if they, we had the kind of politicians that would agree to this, we probably wouldn't be in the mood to do it. <laughs> that is true. That is true. So, thank you, Dale. Appreciate hearing from you, though. Have a good night. Um, I think I think the age thing is a good idea. That would be an across-the-board cutoff. Hey, sorry. We're not we're not picking out one party or singling out the people we don't like. Hey, we got a retirement. I would make it older than sixty five, but I mean, uh, this is our retirement age. Thank you for your service. You know, we're 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 cut and dried about that with so many things, but somehow because these men and women have wheedled their way into being considered quote unquote public servants, we're just serving you. What do you, why do you want to take it out on us? We're public servants. We serve. We serve the people. We're, no, no. If we could strike some words from our language, I know there's a lot of canceling. Public servant. Stop. Okay. Self-servant might be closer. I read this today in the Washington Times. The Interior Department's Fish and Wildlife Service is offering eco-grief uh, services. And at first I thought, because I'm so naive, I thought eco-grief would be like for the thing in Ohio. Like, you know, all the fish are dead, the birds are dead. Eco, I, I thought that was what eco I never heard the term eco-grief. I thought that's what it meant. I, let me continue reading. Eco-grief training is for employees of the Interior Department who are struggling with a sense of trauma or loss as they witness a changing environment. So ecological grief suffered by government employees who can't handle or need emotional support to grapple with our changing environment. It's being offered to employees in the southwestern region of the Interior Department and maybe expanded to other parts of the country. I, I really, I would have thought it was a joke if I'd, if you, like, if you, if you'd told me about it person to person, I'd have thought you're putting me on. And then when I read it in a reputable news source, I thought, well, okay, this is for people that have been through like an ecological disaster. No. It's for people that work for the government who have the feels. <laughs> Maybe if the changing environment is um, this traumatic to you, maybe the Interior Department is not the right place for you, you know? Like, you might want to reconsider a different career track or maybe ask for a transfer. Eco-grief. By the way, as I read more, I found out that many universities have courses in eco-grief. So we're training the future eco-grief eco counselors to manage what will, I'm sure, be wave upon wave 
of eco-grief in our future. Eco-grief. I just have to say this. We used to be a country that rolled up its sleeves and tried to do something about a problem. That was where American ingenuity came from, right? All all the great inventors, right? All the great innovators and inventors, Bell, Edison, whoever, It was to solve problems. It was to say, how can we do this better? How can we fix that? We have gone from being a country that solves mankind's problems to a country that offers grief counseling for mankind's problems. We don't have answers. We don't have fixes. We're not making anything. But if you need someone to talk to, I'm here. And I don't mean to mock or belittle counseling. My brother's a counselor. But honest to God, could we get back to being the country that says, hey, if it's broken, let's fix it. If there's a problem, let's solve it. If there's a need, let's invent. Let's fill the gap. Let's do stuff that actually improves people's lives, that picks them up and pulls them out of the muck instead of telling them while they're in the muck, oh, they're there. Let it all out. I guess we're lucky that Thomas Edison was not an eco-grief counselor. (laughs) Thank God that was not his track. All right, JR poll question. Should we have mental competency tests for politicians? Uh, 58% said we should have them for all of the politicians. 30% say for Paul's over the age of 75, and 12% said no to the tests altogether. We'll have a new poll question tomorrow starting at 4, or you can find it anytime at KTSA.com. And, of course, you can find this show anytime as a podcast, either in the on-demand menu at KTSA.com or just search Jack Riccardi Show in the places you like to get podcasts, and that way if it's easier to listen late at night, middle of the night, weekends, I'll I'll be glad to come along whenever, wherever uh, you want to hang out. Uh, the, we mentioned earlier uh, CNN's Don Lemon is in trouble for suggesting that women are uh, out of their prime once they get out of their 40s because he obviously, no one knows women like Don Lemon. But, you know, he's not even the craziest uh, CNN guy in the news today. I guess Chris Cuomo is a former CNN guy. Don Cooper and I were talking about this off the air. You know, CNN fired, they demoted Don Lemon. They fired Chris Cuomo. And he went to work for some other outfit that's got an even smaller audience than CNN, although that's probably not as big a margin as you would think. Anyway, he said in a recent podcast interview, Chris Cuomo did, he was so upset when CNN took his job away from him, he was so enraged and sad and hurt that he felt like killing everyone and himself. That's what he said. He was so upset, he felt like killing everyone and himself. This is a grown man. Now, I'm just going to make this point. I don't know Chris Cuomo. And I could say that, I could say a lot of things, but I'll just say this. I thought that was the kind of talk that 
they were referring to with the whole, if you see something, say something, if you are concerned, if there's a red flag, if there's a dot. What kind of person has a career setback? Because I know I've had them, I'm sure you've had them. And your response is, I could kill everybody. I would say the kind of person who says that and owns that is a person we might want to call aside, maybe have a little talk with, maybe prod them towards some help. Because that's not normal. I've been in this business for 30-something years. That, That is not normal. No one I've ever worked with, no one I've ever talked to, that is not the way people react. And they've had, I've seen far worse demotions and setbacks than Chris Cuomo. And then he tried to soft pedal it by saying, well, it's because he's Italian and Italians are very emotional and feel a lot of things. Thanks a lot, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for that. Appreciate the support of our uh, ethnic bond. Uh, there were a couple of things in the news. A little bit uh, sad. Uh, one you may have heard, one you may not have. Tim McCarver has passed away. He was the uh, Hall of Fame uh, catcher and uh, play-by-play commentator for baseball. He played for the uh, Cardinals and the Phillies and uh, also covered, I think, 20-something different World Series over his broadcasting uh, career. Uh, wound up working with uh, Joe Buck on Fox on their baseball coverage. Tim McCarver was 81 um, and this, this was just, I, I had forgotten about this story. And when I saw this, this, uh, uh, in the headlines, do you remember about, I guess, five or six years ago, that group of Thai youth soccer players who got trapped in a cave during a flood? And we were all on pins and needles for days as this incredibly elaborate rescue operation was mounted to get to these boys, and I think they had one or two coaches, adult coaches with them, and it was a race against time, and they were rescued. And one of these young men, um, now uh, at the age of 17, was attending um, school or, I guess, a soccer academy in Great Britain, and he was found dead in his room this week. He's 17 years old. He survived the... The, the cave, but something else got him. And it's not only a sad story in and of itself, but an incredible bond had come, had, had, had been created, had, had, uh, developed between these boys. And you can imagine, right? If you've ever been through anything, even approaching this, what the bond would be like, what the feelings would be like. They're more than friends now. They're more than brothers now. And so this is a, a great loss for them, as well as it would be a loss anytime you lose a, a young person at just the age of 17. So certainly thinking of them and thinking of his family uh, today. Um, and as I mentioned uh, earlier, of course, tomorrow, new JR poll. We'll be back here to talk about all the news, all the things going on in our lives. And it'll be Friday. So we'll be talking restaurants on the dish in our Six o'clock hour. If you've got a great restaurant story or experience or place you want to recommend, save it up. Hit me with it tomorrow. See you back here on the radio live at four or anytime on demand. The Jack Riccardi Show podcast.